pray for God's blessing on his word. Lord, we do look to you now. We do not attempt to study your word without the help of your Holy Spirit, because we know that he must be at work in us, not only for us to understand it, but most of all, for us to believe it, to trust in Jesus, and to live for him. And so we pray that you would send your spirit to teach us the word, to help us to believe it, and to live for Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Our scripture passage this morning is Mark chapter 14, verses 53 to 72. Mark 14, verses 53 to 72. You'll find that on page 851 and 852 of the Pew Bible. About a week ago, I was picking my children up from school and in the carpool line, uh, both lanes of a two-way road are basically designated as one way for a certain segment of time. And after 3.05 in the afternoon, they become two-way again. Well, I was in the right lane in, in the traffic waiting in line, and I noticed a man was coming up along beside me going the wrong direction. Of course, he thought he had made it there on time and that he was fine to be driving down the wrong way of that particular lane. And as he approached me, he stopped, and I noticed another car was coming up the road going the correct way on the lane. And they met, and I could hear him shouting in his car at the lady across from him, wanting her to move because obviously she was in the wrong. And I looked over, and this woman starts pointing at him to pull over. And I thought, well, this will be interesting. I'll just sit here and watch and see what happens. Well, after a moment of pointing and shouting, the woman got out of the car, and she put on her crossing guard hat. And let me tell you, you don't mess with this crossing guard. She swaggered over to his vehicle like Barney Fife from the Andy Griffith Show, and she began to read him the riot act. And within a few seconds, you saw him just sort of slouch down in the seat of his car lower and lower until he pulled off to the side very quickly. I say that to you, it's a funny story, but I say that to you because there's a, there's a healthy fear of man, or you might say a healthy fear of authority in life, but there's also an unhealthy fear of man that shapes the way in which we live so that we're no longer living for Jesus and we're living out of fear of others. And that's what comes to our attention here in this particular passage of Mark. You know this well. This is Jesus' trial before the Sanhedrin and Peter's denial of Jesus. Let me read for us, beginning in verse 53. And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest, And he was sitting with the guards and warming warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We have heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, 
and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men have testified uh, that me, these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? We have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But he again denied it. He, and after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. You've seen it on police shows and you've seen it on the news. Witness intimidation. There is a key witness to a crime, a murder. And that witness is the one that the prosecution is counting on to look across the courtroom and say, that's the guilty man. And yet somewhere along the way, the defendant's people get to the witness. And the witness begins to clam up and doesn't want to go into the courtroom and say, that's the guilty person. I think anytime we see those shows or we see it on the news, we like to think of ourselves as those people who are brave enough and strong enough to be able to go to the witness stand and say, now that's the person right there. To be a faithful witness. To say what's true. Maybe we would. Or maybe we begin to think about our own livelihood that's at stake. Our family and their particular safety. Maybe we, like others, are those who might shrink back and not be a faithful witness on that particular occasion. God is looking for faithful witnesses. And he's been looking for faithful witnesses from the very beginning. When Eve was tempted by the serpent and the serpent began to tell her false truths that looked like and sounded like the truth, Eve was not a faithful witness. If she was, she would have said to the serpent, Now, sir, let me tell you exactly what God said. And let me tell you exactly how good he is to us. That would have been a faithful witness. Jesus calls his disciples again and again to be faithful witnesses to him, of him. 
That's what he wants from us. That we would declare to all the world who Jesus is and what he is like. That we would faithfully speak of him. Faithfully live for him. So that everybody else in all the world will know that we are saved by his grace. And that we belong to Jesus. Now, one of the things that we've seen in our studies of Mark up until this point is just how Jesus works in his disciples' lives. And one of the things that he's constantly doing is revealing just how weak, just how frail, and just how sinful the disciples are, that he might bring them to himself, show them his grace, and transform them more and more into his likeness. And that's exactly what we see once again with Peter here. Now, Mark is the kind of writer that loves to use contrasts. We've seen those again and again. And what Mark does for us is contrast two different kinds of witnesses. There's the witness that Jesus provides, and then there's the witness that Peter provides. And the witness that Jesus provides is faithful. And the witness that Peter provides is faithless. And so here, Jesus, at his trial before the Sanhedrin, is being tested as he is called upon to bear witness to who he is, knowing what is at stake. We realize that down in the courtyard, Peter's going through his own trial. And yet it's a trial that he fails, and one that will transform him, as we will see. Now let's ask the question, what makes a good witness Let me answer that in three ways. First of all, by saying what it is not. A failing witness, a failing witness fears man. Look here in verses 66 and following where Peter denies Jesus three times. We're told that Peter is below in the courtyard. One of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself by the fire there, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. So there are a number of people have gathered here in the courtyard of the high priest. And Jesus is up in the high room of the high priest being examined and questioned. And Peter is down below in the courtyard. He's warming himself by the fire. And there's just enough light for a little servant girl to recognize Peter. Maybe he saw Peter with Jesus in the temple earlier that week when Jesus was teaching the crowds. We don't know. But somehow she recognizes Peter. And look at what Peter says. He denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. Now, three times, as you know, Peter denied knowing Jesus. And what's interesting is that Peter here is not simply denying a truth statement, a system of beliefs, moral values. What is Peter denying? He's denying knowing Jesus. He's disowning himself from Jesus. I want nothing to do with this man. He is not of my party. He is not like me. He is not of my kind. I want nothing to do with him. I do not know. I neither know nor understand what you mean. Later on, he says in verse 71, I do not know this man of whom you speak. This man of whom you speak, I do not know. Now, why? Because he's afraid of a little servant girl. He's afraid of a little servant girl. 
what would she do to him? Would she turn him in? Would he be arrested too? Would he be treated in the same way that Jesus is being treated? What could possibly happen to him? These things must have been running through his mind. And so this little servant girl that he is afraid of is what causes him to be a faithless, failing witness. Now you might wonder, could this possibly be true of Peter? Remember how boldly he would speak? Remember earlier in the evening, he's the one who pulled out the sword and cut off the ear of the high priest's servant? Could this be the same Peter who was so bold, so strong, so adamant that even if all of these fall away, Lord, I will not? Yeah, I think so. You remember when Paul wrote to the Galatians in chapter 2? And he spoke of how the Judaizers had infiltrated the Galatian church. And because of that, people were turning away from Jesus and they were following after a false gospel. And who was at the center of it? Not stirring it up, but at least participating was Peter, remember? What Paul says is that Peter, coming down from Jerusalem, went in and when he was... First, when he had first arrived, he was eating and having fellowship with all of the Gentiles. But when the Judaizers arrived, it said, Paul says, fearing the Judaizers, he withdrew from table fellowship. This is the same Peter who was so bold, so brash. And yet here he is, afraid of a little girl, afraid of the Judaizers. What would be done to Peter? And I think what it tells us is that this man who with great fierceness of speech, who would proclaim his allegiance to Jesus, is the same man who would be so afraid of what other people could do to him that he would no longer be a faithful witness to Jesus. You know, those who are most bold in their proclamations about what they can do are often those who are most bold about protecting themselves and that's exactly what Peter's doing. He's so bold in speaking of all that he will do for Jesus. And when it comes down to it, all he wants to do is protect himself from a little servant girl. This is something that is just common to human nature. It's common to the disciples of God. If you look back in the Old Testament, you remember when the spies were sent out into the land? Joshua and Caleb and a number of other spies were... They were waiting across the Jordan for God to give the order to go into the promised land. And so the spies were sent out to scout out the land to see what it was like, to see what the enemy is like. And when they came back, they reported this land is wonderful. It's the land flowing with milk and honey that God has been telling us about. They brought back produce and fruit from the land and they said, look how wonderful all of these things are. Joshua and Caleb said, now let's go in and take the land. Do you remember what the other spies said? We can't do that. They are too strong. They're too mighty. We look like grasshoppers to them. That's exactly what Peter is feeling in his heart. I look like a grasshopper compared to a little servant girl. And disciples of Christ who look upon people that way as if they're bigger than God will shrink back 
when we are called upon to be faithful witnesses to Christ. Jesus knew this. He knew what's in the heart of a man. He declared to his disciples ahead of time in Luke chapter 12 that we ought not to fear man who can destroy the body, but we ought to fear the one who can destroy the body and the soul in hell forever. He says, don't fear man. And yet it is part of our constitution to some extent. You know, peer pressure doesn't end when you graduate from high school. Certainly it's at work in high school. But even as you get older, you can imagine just maybe you're taking care of your yard one day and your neighbor says, you know, your yard would be a lot better if you did such and such. And secretly you begin to plan, okay, what, what do I need to do to make my yard look better? All because of what this person thinks. And there are countless other ways in which the way in which we fear other people's opinions of us, the way in which we fear what other people can do to us, shapes the way we live. And the worst thing for a disciple is to have the fear of man keep us from witnessing and declaring that we belong to Jesus. It happens all the time. Some of you may be from families in which you're the only Christian and there's constant battling between you and the rest of your family. They want you to forsake Jesus. They want you to do other things. They don't want you to be so committed to Christ. And maybe at times you, in a moment of weakness, give in. And it's all because we fear what other people think of us. We fear what they might be able to do to us. We don't always live for him that way. We don't always speak of him that way. And what Jesus wants us to do, which is the very thing that he's getting Peter to come to the point to see, is that we need to examine our hearts time and time again. What are the things that we actually fear in life more than God? Who do we fear more than God? And how does that shape the way in which we live? So that when it comes down to it, and we have an opportunity to witness to Jesus by the choices that we make, the, the decisions that we make, how we live for Him, and how we speak for Him, that we're prepared. We're prepared not to fear man, but to fear God. Now there's a second thing here. A failing witness fears man, but a faithful witness fears God. Looking here at Jesus' arrest and trial, we're told here in verse 55 that the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. Some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. So here this trial. And if we were to have the time to examine this, you would see that at every point, the Sanhedrin conducted an unjust trial because it was not in conformity with Jewish law especially the fact that every court case must be decided upon 
the faithfulness of at least two witnesses, and yet they can't find two witnesses to agree on anything. And so the Sanhedrin here is giving Jesus a false, unjust trial. And look how Jesus responds. Verse 60, the high priest asks, Have you no answer to make to these charges? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Now Jesus, as we've seen before, is faithful to fulfill prophecy, to do exactly what his heavenly Father has told him to do in the Scriptures. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7, the section on the suffering servant in his ministry declares that, that the suffering servant would be like the sheep going to the slaughter and that he would not open his mouth. And that's exactly what he's doing here. He's not defending himself against all these trumped-up charges. He, he probably knows that they would be used against him anyway in this particular trial. But most of all, he loves his father. And because he loves his father and he, he fears him, reveres him, treasures him more than the opinions of man, Jesus does just what is written of him. He's a faithful witness. Now, what does a faithful witness who fears God do? First of all, he confesses truth in spite of appearances. He confesses truth in spite of appearances. Now, the one thing that Jesus would answer, the one question is, which is put to him in verse 61 says, are you the Christ, the Son of the blessed? Now, the high priest wants to get just to the point. Who do you say that you are? And what does Jesus respond with? I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. He's referring to Jan Daniel chapter 7. When this figure, spoken of as the Son of Man, would come to the Ancient of Days and receive power and dominion over all kingdoms, that he would judge the entire earth and all peoples. And Jesus is saying, I am he. And though you judge me now, one day I will judge you. In other words, in spite of the appearance of the strength of the Sanhedrin, they appeared to hold all the cards. Jesus says, now let me tell you the truth. And every faithful witness confesses the truth even when it appears to the contrary. Even when it appears that, that your neighbor that you've been talking with who is an atheist seems to have the better arguments for why there is no God, that you continue to confess the truth regardless of what the appearance is. But not only that, a faithful witness does this. He confesses the truth in spite of the cost. In spite of the cost. When Jesus witnessed faithfully about his identity here, look at the results. The high priest in verse 63 tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. 
And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. As soon as Jesus said, I am, there was no turning back. He was going to the cross. He would be crucified and receive all the punishment for sinners. He confessed the truth regardless of the cost. I don't know what your view of evangelism is. For some it may be that if I have the right technique, it will ensure success. For others, it may be that if I'm nice enough to people, they will like me and they will like my message. But let me just tell you this. You can count on this. The more the light of Christ shines in you, the more the darkness of the world wants to snuff it out. And you can count on that. That doesn't mean that people will not come to faith in Jesus through you. I pray that they do. But you can also trust that in the midst of that, when the light of Jesus shines brightest in you, as you confess the truth when it's costly, as you confess the truth even to all opposite appearances, darkness will want to snuff it out. And Jesus calls us to be faithful witnesses even in that hour because he was a faithful witness in that hour. My friends, if he had failed to faithfully witness to the truth about himself and about his mission in the world, he would have ceased to be our Savior because he would have renounced himself, he would have renounced the cross, and he would have denied the will of the Father. But instead, he did what was faithful, and he told the truth. And he confessed it as his own. And because of that, he is the faithful witness that we need. And his grace at work in us is seeking to work out that same character of faithful witnessing in us too. That is the purpose of his grace, is to transform us into his image. Peter himself could speak of this. Later on, writing to the church, knowing that he had already failed Jesus, but yet by God's grace had been transformed, writes this to the church, If when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was, deceited, uh, uh, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And that's what he's calling us to do as well. To not fear man, but to entrust ourselves to the one who judges faithfully. The one who knows that his son has been sacrificed for us. And when we entrust ourselves to him, nobody can do anything to us outside the will of the Father. And so a faithful witness here is one who fears God over man. And I'll just tell you this, I would not be surprised if some of us 
were tested on this particular issue at some point this week. When you have the opportunity to make a choice for Christ, when you have an opportunity as someone asks you a question to give a reason for your faith, when a family member wonders for the thousandth time why are you committing yourself to God? He says, fear me over them and be a faithful witness for Jesus' sake. Everyday encounters matter. Whether it's at the grocery store, within our own home, your workplace, everyday encounters matter. It was true for Peter and he found himself denying his Savior in front of a servant girl. Now there's one last thing here, and I think this is the most important thing. A faithful witness is made by Christ. A faithful witness is made by Christ. Being faithful as a witness of Jesus in all different types of circumstances isn't just something that happens. It's something that happens because Jesus is at work in you to bring you to the point where it happens. Where you're trusting in God more than you fear man. It's a work of Christ. Peter had to be transformed. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing. Jesus had told him previously, you will deny me three times. Peter could not believe it and yet it happened all the same. Why? So that Peter could see what's true about himself in order that Jesus would begin a great work in him to transform him into a faithful witness. Now it would come through the painful process of having the reality of his self-love over his love for Jesus exposed, not only to himself, but throughout world history to the church and all the world. Peter's the one who denied Christ on that particular night. Read an article not long ago about a young girl who, when she was two years old, uh, was revealed to have a particular genetic disorder. Her parents were pressure washing the house and they started the motor of the pressure washer. The phone rang, and so the mother went in, the father was distracted, and this little two year old child touched this searing hot motor with her hands. When the mother got back, the little girl was looking at her hands that had been scarred immediately and blistered by the heat. And yet she wasn't crying. There seemed to be nothing wrong with her. Because the genetic disorder that she has is one that doesn't produce the particular molecule required to communicate pain. Now, what researchers have found out is that she can sense warm and cold. But when it gets to the extremes where she actually feels pain, she can't feel it. And so often, the way in which people live is to try to live in that small space where there is no pain. And what Jesus does oftentimes is he gets us out of that particular threshold into our pain threshold. Not just simply to wound us, 
but to drive us to grace, that we would receive his mercy. And that's exactly what he is doing with Peter. Peter was like that up until this point, brash and bold. I will not deny you. I will die if that's what it takes. And yet what he really got was a look at himself. In fact, he got more than a look at himself. He got a look from Jesus. Luke, the physician in Luke's gospel, chapter 22, records for us that as soon as Peter denied Jesus for the third time, that Jesus actually looked up and made eye contact with Peter. What a look. What a look for Peter to have received. A look that said, Peter, I knew. I knew this is who you were. I knew this about you all the time. And yet a look that says, I still love you. And my purpose is to make you just like me. And that's the very thing that Jesus is doing in every disciple. Every disciple who at times finds that they fear man over God, Jesus is at work to uproot that fear of man, to expose it, that we might repent of it, that we might receive grace and mercy and fear God over man. And this was Peter's reality. And it's our reality too. At times it breaks our heart just like it broke Peter's heart. But it's the very thing that we need. And if you look at Peter's life after this, you see just how amazing God's transforming grace is. Who was it that stood up on the day of Pentecost in the same city where this little servant girl dwelled? Who would declare to the masses that Jesus is Lord and Savior and 3,000 people were converted? Is it not Peter? It's a work of grace. And it's a work of His grace in us too. That the more we come to Him, yes, it's painful at times to have our sins and frailties exposed, but it's His gracious work so that we might become like Him. Friends, we're called to be faithful witnesses of Christ. And the more we understand just how glorious and gracious He is, the more we want to tell everybody, no matter what they could do to us, because they can't do anything to harm us that our Heavenly Father doesn't allow, knowing that Jesus has secured our eternal destiny to be with Him forever and ever. How could we deny one like that. Let us fear God and bear witness to Christ. Let's pray. Oh Lord, what an important message for the church in Rome to hear as Mark writes his gospel to those in Rome who were faced with the possibility of denying Jesus before their persecutors. And what an important message it is for us in Hendersonville, in 2010, in a culture that is increasingly hostile towards the gospel, that our view of Christ would increase so that we do not fear what others can do, but rather we fear you 
knowing what you've already done for us, revering you, loving you, serving you, and bearing witness to you. Give us faithful hearts filled with the joy of the gospel that we might be able to tell others of Christ and live for him. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.